Well, good morning, Grace Life. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody ready for the game this afternoon? We got five hours that I can preach until the game starts. So just hold on, grab a cup of coffee or two, as you might be here for a while. Just kidding. We are entering a new mini-series here, uh, talking about grace and how awesome grace is. I love that our church is named Grace Life because it's really epitomizes kind of what God brings into our lives as he gives us his unmerited favor, his grace poured into us and in turn pours into the world as well. And then he also came to give us an abundant life that we can enjoy and thrive in in this world, not just to come and worry about the do's and the don'ts, the rights and the wrongs, and trying to justify ourselves, feel like we have to justify ourselves to God. Because God has already given us his mercy and his grace because he loves us, because he he, poured, he, he died for us on the cross so that we could enjoy him and have a life in this world that is much more than we can have. We have a hope, we have a salvation, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we, he gave us that so that we might in turn be a blessing to those around us, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, at our job site. One of the things that we learned while we were living overseas for 20 years is that when you go to a foreign country, you can't just go and say, hey, government, I want to go and just live in your country. You have to have a reason to be there. They want you to justify your presence. And where we lived in China and in North Korea, you definitely have to justify yourself. You can't come in on a tourist visa, I mean, on, a, on a, uh, a missionary visa. When we were in South Korea, we came in, we had the, what would they call the D visa. It was a missionary visa. So when you looked at our passport, they knew exactly why we were there, and that told the government that we were not going to work a job in that country. We had outside support helping us live in that country, so that D visa said that is our platform. We were going to be missionaries in that country. When we moved up to China and working in North Korea, we had tourist visas for, at first, and we were going to operate as tourists. That was our platform there. Eventually in China, that, that didn't become a long-term Option. So our platform became the restaurant we've talked about. We opened an American restaurant, and that became the platform for our ministry and for our family, and it gave us ability to do what God wanted us to do there in that country. So that was our platform. We're talking about today that we are the platform of God's grace in this world. He came to bring life and bring life more abundantly to this world. Not everybody is accepting of that, and that's okay. It's okay if people don't believe that. It's our job to merely communicate the truth to them, to share with them what the Word of God says, and let the Holy Spirit transform them and change their hearts, change their way of thinking. But in the midst of that, He has placed the church, He's placed believers in communities, in jobs, and around the place. Remember those five intersections of life, those five intersections, He's placed us there so when we might be that platform of His grace to share that grace with those around us. So we might share with them the love of Christ. So we might live out the love of Christ. So we can embrace people and let them know there is more to this life than just working 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week for 70 years, and then you die. There is much more to this life than that. The world, those around us, they're intent on just getting out there, getting as much money as they can, getting as much into getting a bigger house, getting a bigger car, getting a nicer Sound bar on the bottom of the, or a sound system in their house. You know, how big's your sound how big's your surround system? Oh, I got twenty-five speakers around. I can hear a pin drop everywhere the, the guy's moving on the screen. 
for many people, that is what they live for. They live for Friday nights, they live for Saturday nights, they live for Sunday nights because they know that Monday morning's coming and they got to go back to work. Where God has given us a much greater opportunity to serve Him, to love Him, to embrace Him, and to be His instrument, to be His platform in this world. To be a platform of His grace, His unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We can't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn God's grace, to earn God's mercy, to earn His love. He loves us because that is who He is. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, he could have very easily just said, that's it. I'm done with mankind. Y'all are on your own. But he didn't. He embraced them and said, I know you messed up. I know you messed up. But my grace is so big that I'm going to embrace you even in the midst of your mess up. And I'm going to see you through the end. We're going to make something wonderful out of this mess up that you did. As we look at God's grace, a couple things to recognize. First of all, His grace is an ongoing work in us. Once He gives us His grace, it doesn't just stop. It's a progression through our whole life as His grace continues to pour in, pour in, pour into us. It's an ongoing work in us. His grace forgives, but it also guides us. His grace messed up again. You know, it's the old Ray Stevens song, It's Me Again, Margaret. That's me with God. It's me again, God. I've messed up again, God. It's me again, God. I'm coming to you on my knees again. I've messed up. I said something I shouldn't have said. I, I thought something I shouldn't have thought. I, that person cut me off, and I gave them the what for in my, inside my car. They couldn't hear me, but you heard me. It's me again, God. And you come to God, and He forgives, and He guides us. See, we don't have to wait to, be, to sin before we recognize God's grace. His grace helps me to be that better me that He wants me to be. His grace helps me and, and lets me know, don't say that, don't do that, don't think that. It proactively stops me from doing what I naturally want to do, my natural inclinations. While we were still in our sins, one of my favorite passages in Scripture it says, while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. God proactively acted on our behalf so that we might come to him. While we were still stuck in our sins, Christ died for me. Not only does he guide, forgive and guide us, he also restores and guards us. You know, it, it, our temptation is to say, God, this is just who I am. This is just who I am. This is the, my character. This is my personality. This is who I am. I'm going to sin. I'm going to do this no matter what. And God's grace says, you don't have to. I, brought, I came into this world so that you might live, go beyond your natural instincts, your natural inclinations. You don't have to say, this is just I am. That doesn't cut it in God's culture. God came to give us life and life abundantly to change us, transform us. From the inside out. Yesterday, we went to, took some men down to the men's conference down at Lakewood, and we were talking about being transformed and becoming uncommon, being uncommon men in this world, and letting God transform us from the inside out so we are not like we were last week, last month, last year, last decade, making us more like Him. See, grace, God's grace always helps us make better choices. His grace always helps us make better choices. So the person who's always angry, 
He helps you get control. The person who's always fearful, he helps us. His grace steps in and helps us learn to depend on him and to not give in to that fear. We have a friend of ours over in China, missionary friend, is, uh, I'm not going to mention his name on the, as we record this, but I, got, I saw an email this week for his family. He stayed there in, the city, in, the, in, the, in one of the cities there, and his family flew back over. In the midst of the whole coronavirus scare, his wife and his daughter flew back to China to be there among the people that God has called them to reach. Fear could have kept them here in the States. They could have said, well, John, I'm sorry you're there, but we're going to stay here. And they could have listened to their supporters. They could have listened to their family. Please don't go back. Don't you know how bad it is? And fear could have kept them from operating and doing what God wanted to do. And yet they're back there now. Wearing their masks and stuff, I'm sure. But they didn't let fear stop them. That's grace. Somebody who's a substance abuser constantly is giving in to the abuses around us. Not just alcohol and drugs, but maybe abusing language, abusing other things in our lives, abusing pornography. God's grace steps in, helps us to deny those urges and set an example for our kids and those who are watching. The bitter person, God's grace steps in and helps us to forgive. And it's easy to live in bitterness. It's easy when God, somebody crosses us or somebody hurts us or hurts a family member or hurts somebody that we like, one of our best friends. It's easy to get bitter toward another person. But God's grace steps into our lives and allows us to forgive that person, to forgive them and not think ill of them. I think of the first real boss I ever had, and I may have shared this before. The first real boss I ever had, after a year of working for him, I quit, or rather was asked to quit. And for the next three or four years, every time I heard that man's name, it was just, just I don't want to hear his name. I'd, I'd hear people talking about him. I'm like, and God convicted me of the bitterness that was welling up within my heart. He said, you can't serve me. You can't be the man of God you need to be. You can't be my servant like I want you to be as long as that bitterness is there. You have to give it up. And so I began praying for Joe. I began praying for him that God would bless him, that God would give him a great day. And the first couple times I prayed, I was like, God, you know Joe, he's not a nice man. Give him a good day anyway. You know, and I just would, that was about it. I didn't want to pray for the man. I was angry. I was bitter. But all of a sudden I realized after a few months of just praying for him periodically that when people mentioned his name, I no longer had this feeling of anger and bitterness in my heart. My prayers went from just gritting my teeth and praying for him to where I was honestly praying for God's blessings upon him, that God would pour out his blessings, that God would give him good health, that God would bless him financially and bless him in his job and bless him with his new employees. Because God's grace was evident in my life. Now, it didn't happen overnight, but when you finally give yourself over to the grace that God wants to give you, it's amazing how he takes over all those problems, the anger, the substance abuse, the bitterness, the fear, all those things in our lives that Satan wants to use to keep us pressed down, to keep us powerless for the kingdom, to keep us from achieving what God wants us to achieve. 
grace steps in and helps us to overcome. It goes against our natural inclinations, but grace steps in. Grace is good news. See, grace doesn't stop once we find God. It continues to reach into our very lives day after day after day. So what, let's look, take a look for a second. What is it that grace does for us? First of all, understand that grace is never attained. Grace is never attained. I can't earn it. We, we went through a series in Galatians last year, and we looked over and over and over again how I cannot earn God's grace. I cannot earn God's love. There's nothing I can do to appeal myself to God of my own abilities because I am just a sinful man. I can't be good enough for God. His grace is just received. I can't earn it. I can't attain it. It's just received. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not doing things. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's those things which come into our lives that God pours into our lives as we receive His grace, as we receive His Holy Spirit, as we receive His power to go and do more than we can do of our own strength. And that happens right, that's for this life right now. It's not for something in the future. It's not for something that may happen 10, 20, 30 years from now. God came and He wants to give you His grace right now for this week. In the midst of the snowstorm of the next couple days. I know it's going to be 70 degrees today and tomorrow minus 1. It's not going to be a fun couple of days, temperature-wise. Except for our kids. Woohoo, out there. But God came to give us an abundant life to let us. It doesn't mean we're still not going to struggle. It doesn't mean we're still not going to have health issues. Through those things, and God's grace is evident in our life, help us come to want those natural inclinations in our lives and our attitudes the way that we naturally want to speak. So what is it that grace, God's grace does for us today? If you have your Bibles, look in Titus chapter 2 just for a second. <coughs> Titus chapter 2, just for a second here. We're going to come back to it. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. We're going to, it'll be on the screen behind me as well in a minute. It says here, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Not for some, but His grace came to bring salvation for all people. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldliness, worldly lusts and to give us a sensible righteousness, a godly way, in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. He came to cleanse for himself a people, us, the believers, the body of Christ, those who have been redeemed, those who have had their sins forgiven. To be cleansed for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So first of all, understand this, that grace brings salvation. Grace brings salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It's not about how much you've done. It's not about how good you are versus how bad you are. It's not about weighing your pros and your cons. Grace itself, salvation itself, is a gift of God. A pure gift. At Christmas time, when we give gifts to one another, does that other person 
earn or deserve that gift or you do you give it to them generally of a sense of love because you want to please them you want them to have nice things I take my kids to Taipei for their Taekwondo classes. I take them to do certain things, not because they deserve it as my kids. Many times they don't deserve good things, right? Because they've misbehaved, they've talked back, whatever it may be. But I do good things for them anyway because I love them, not because of what they have done. Same way with our salvation. When we come to God, we say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I've messed up. I admit to you that I have, I can't get to you on my own ability. I need your help. I need what you have already provided for me. God says, that's what I'm waiting for. Just submit yourself to me and let me come in and take charge. See, this is the starting point in our relationship with God. His grace stepping in. His grace overcoming the inability in our own lives to be what God wants us to be. His grace steps in and says, let me give you me. He gives it to us freely. Number two, grace teaches us to say no. Grace teaches us to say no. Romans 12, shall we continue in sin that grace may multiply or grace may abound? To separate ourselves. When God steps into our lives, grace, He gives us His Holy Spirit. He expects that we're going to try to deny the sin, our sinful nature. He expects that we, it's, He knows it's going to be tough. And He gives us more grace. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, it talks about that the more you sin, the more grace you get. The more sin, the more grace you get. So then, Paul says, what should we say? That should we continue in sin that grace may abound more and more? Should we continue sinning so that we receive more and more grace? Absolutely not. That is not why God gives us His grace. So we can just continue to sin. God gives us His grace so that we might learn to put off the sin. So we might learn to live holy lives. We might learn to live righteous lives, to control our tongues, to control our thoughts, to control our natural inclinations. Grace steps in and does for us what we can't do ourselves. It gives us the ability to say no, to resist temptation, to resist ungodliness. And when in doubt, person, I call on God and say, God, I need your help. I can't do it on my own. This temptation is too much for me. And God steps in and gives me strength to overcome. His grace, His mercy in my life. Number three, God, God's grace teaches us how to live. Titus 2, 11 and 12, we read earlier, we'll read it again. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. When? In this present age. Not the future. Right here, right now, we have the ability in 2020 on this Groundhog Day to celebrate and to live a life that is full of God's grace, full of righteousness, full of godliness. We can live that way. Satan wants us to think that we can't. He wants us to think that we are just like animals who give in to our instincts, give in to our natural inclinations. And God says, no! 
I came so you might have life and life more abundantly. To give you a way to live so you can say no, so you can live a life of godliness, not godlessness. You can live a life of love, not a life of bitterness and anger and frustration. I came to you can live a life of grace in this world. So when the world sees us, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God's grace shining in us like this bright, bright lighthouse. This is the sanctifying grace of God in our lives, refining our actions, our speech, our thoughts, so that we regularly model this godliness around us. This is undeserved and again and again and pours into our lives. Us acknowledging when I am weak, he is strong. When I am weak and I can't do it, when I am weak and I want to give in to my natural inclinations, when I am weak and the fear overtakes me, when I am weak and I'm just angry and bitter, and I, when I'm weak and that person cuts me off and I want to give them the what for, God's grace steps in and helps me not make those choices. Does that mean I always make the right choice? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. More often than I'd like to admit, I give in to me. And I make choices that are not pleasing to God. But His grace is there. He says, no, no matter what you do, no matter how you live, my grace is there to, number four, fill us with hope. Hebrews 6.19 says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. What curtain is it talking about? It's referring back to the curtain in the temple where separated the holy place from the holy of holies where God's, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was stored. And that ark of the, that curtain was there separating the Shekinah glory of God from the outside. Because if people saw the Shekinah glory of God, they would die. But when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn from top to bottom, top to bottom, opening up the Holy of Holies so that we, the people of God, can now approach the throne of God. So we can now approach God face to face and say, God, I need your help. I don't have to go through a mediator. I don't have to go through another person. I don't have to cast my incense or do any other thing to get God's attention. I can go directly to the Savior and say, God, I need your help. I need your grace. I need you today. He fills us with this hope that we can have hope that in this life and the next, knowing that this life is not all there is. We are just temporary residents. Temporary residents in Colorado. I don't mean you're going to be moving out. I mean, we are temporary residents in this world. This place is not our home. I love it here. This is great. I love you. But honestly, I'm looking forward to seeing God face to face. I'm looking forward to that time when I either die or Jesus comes back and takes me. And I get to hang out with him for the rest of eternity. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to the new life that's out there. I can't wait to be met in heaven by Jesus. 
and walk with him in the garden and learn from him and about him for the rest of eternity. I mean, the, God has showed us so much about himself in his book, in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. There's so much in here about God, but this just barely scratches the surface of who he really is. So for the rest of eternity, man, we get to learn about who this awesome God is, who saved us, who gives us his grace, who gives us his mercy, who pours out his love into us when we don't deserve it. When all we is hell, all we deserve is a and a spanking from God. That's what we deserve. And His grace withholds that and pours His love into us, helps us to live a godly life that is honoring to Him. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. With boldness. The curtain's rent in two. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. You know how awesome that is? You know how awesome that is? That we know that we can approach the throne with boldness? Not with fear and trepidation like, God, don't destroy me. (laughs) We can approach the throne with boldness and say, God, I need you now. I need your help now. I need your mercy now. God, this is going on in my life, and I can approach him like I do my friend. I can approach him like I, I do my best friend. Say, God, you know what's going on, but let me lay it out for you how I'm feeling. Just in case you missed, you were working with John over here. Let me lay it out for you how I'm really feeling right now. And I can approach him with boldness. I mean, if you read through the Psalms, and David is crying out, he's pouring out his heart to God, and he's like, God, I'm angry right now. I'm frustrated right now. And he's approaching God with boldness that they don't, you don't see people, many people in the Old Testament doing that. They approach God with this fear and trepidation like, God, don't destroy me. <laughs> Every time an angel of the Lord appeared, they're like, oh, I'm turning my eyes. And they're like, don't worry, you're not going to die. Because I'm not God. We can approach the throne of God with boldness and say, God, I'm coming before you today on behalf of so-and-so. I'm coming before you today on behalf of me because I need your help. God, I'm coming before you today to ask that you pour out your mercy and your grace on this community around us. I'm asking that you pour out your, as we did our prayer walk last week, God, we're asking you to pour out your grace and your mercy on this house here and the residents of this house and the kids whose toys I see sitting out in front of that house. God, pour out your grace and your mercy on these people. We don't know them yet, but we ask that you're going to pour out your grace and mercy on them anyway. Ask that you bless them. Boldly going before the throne of grace. Asking for God's grace. See, God's grace wants to teach us a new way to live. A new way to live. Because there's always more grace available. Always more grace available. During your need, and we're going to get more tomorrow and more the next day and more the next day. The picture, a picture of, of God's grace that way is in the Old Testament is the story of Elisha and the Shunammite widow. And she was, had just enough flour in, in, in her little canister to make one more cake for she and her husband and her, her son 
they were going to eat it, and they were going to die. There was a famine in the land. Just enough oil, just enough flour, make a little piece of bread, eat it, and then they were, that was all that they had. Elisha shows up, and he says, go around to your neighbors. You ask them for canisters. You, in fact, you go and you fill up your storage room. She's like, what? He said, first make the bread for me, and then you go and ask for all these canisters. She's like, uh, okay. She comes back, and she's got this canister and that one, big ones, small ones, all different sizes. And she starts scooping out from her canister into the other ones. Scooping out from her canister into the, what was just one small scoop just kept on going, kept on going. The oil kept on going, the oil kept on going, the oil kept on going. Until they were all filled. And it says when they were all filled, then it stopped flowing. Oil stopped flowing. That's God's grace. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. Never stopping. Never ending. The well of God's grace never dry, never comes up empty. The well of God's mercy never comes up empty. He desires to work through us to be the platform of his grace to this world. If we give out, if we start sharing in, with people about God's grace and his mercy and God's allowing us opportunities to be the light of the world around us, to be salt and light around us, there's more grace for this other person and, and grace enough for me as well. There's enough grace for Mike as, and, and for me as well. There's enough grace for John and Mike and myself and Emerson and all of us in this room. There's enough to go around to help us in our daily Satan wants to keep us frustrated. He wants to keep us fearful. He wants to keep us pressed down. And God's grace wants to lift us up to give us an abundant life, to give us a life that is powerful, a life that we can enjoy in God every single day. That's God's grace. Have you experienced God's grace in your own life? Have you come to that point in your life where you have submitted your, yourself to God and said, God, as it said in, Roman, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's not my works, but God, it's your grace in my life. See, it's only by receiving the grace of God. Understand that it's a gift, a free gift of God. Not my works. I can't earn it. Remember, I can't attain it. I receive it. I can't work it out. I just got to receive it from God. As I submit myself to Him, and I give myself to God, and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I believe I confess for you that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You took my sins upon your own shoulders and you died and three days later rose again from the dead. And God, I confess that you are God. I confess that Jesus is God and you died for me. Very simple. A, B, C. You admit, you believe, you confess. Very simple. It doesn't ask you how many times you went to church last year, how much of the Bible you've read this year, how, how good were you this week, because we can't be good enough for God. But as we come before God and we submit and we admit and we believe, we and our lives are changed and transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of our mind, so we might know the perfect, pleasing will of God. 
you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute.